Well, the white board uh, there was a, to uh, introduce a, a new sermon series that we're launching today for four weeks, the next four weeks, called Audacious. And what does audacious mean? Well, it means uh, bold, or daring, or original, or lively, or unrestrained. And then the question comes, uh, okay, what does this audacious spirit then have to do uh, with a challenge to the life of uh, our church here at Spring Valley? Well, as we approach August 14th and uh, launching of a new church here, uh, it's a challenge for us to move beyond the ordinary in our spiritual life uh, and look for a, a fresh, new, more exciting experience and venture in the Christian faith. And we're going to address four areas in that uh, audacious series about worship, uh, about ministry, evangelism, and then about stewardship. But each one of those subjects is not going to be given to you uh, in those normal names. We're going to give you something audacious. Today we're talking about worship. And the title for it is simply Celebration. Now, what would we think about in terms of celebration uh, in worship? Well, you might think about new music. You might think about loud. You might think about more lively. Bottom line is, no matter what your style or preference of worship might be, is that every one of us who believe in Christ and have a relationship with God is that we should celebrate our relationship with God and celebrate who God is. In fact, we got the, I put you a short quote up here from the Westminster Shorter Catechism that simply says, man's chief end, you got that, you can show them, uh, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, and let me just ask you a question. In your worship, uh, do you really enjoy God or are you just maybe going through uh, some of the motions about worship. What does worship mean? It's not a it's not a spiritual word at all. It simply means worship. And, you know, it, it, anything that's worth worthy of being being worshipped is what has great value in your life. For us as believers, of course, ought to be Jesus Christ and our relationship we have with God, and we we will worship, and we will be excited about it, and we will be glad about it, and we will celebrate. That which is the most important to us. And as believers in Jesus Christ, that ought to be what we celebrate. And our worship of him should be that. Now, there are two basic forms of worship. We've got our private worship and we've got our corporate worship. What's private worship do for us? Uh, that's when we have our quiet time with God. And we're in the Bible. We're in the Word of God. We're reading other spiritual books. And we're, and we're praying. And we're just growing closer to God. And that's what our private worship does. And if you don't have that in your life, you're missing this because it creates a deeper sense of intimacy with God. That's the significance about your quiet time and your personal worship. David, King David, was one of the consummate worshipers that we can find in the Bible. And so many things that he wrote about was when he worshiped God privately. Uh, in Psalm 63, he said, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, that's coming out of the time of his personal worship. So let me suggest to you, if you, it's 2 o'clock in the morning and you can't sleep, worship God. If somebody's sleeping in the room or the bed with you, you might not want to sing so loudly to wake them. But David talks about doing that. You know, why count sheep? Count your blessings. Worship God. Get intimate with God. You know, that might just be that God's got something he wants to say to you during that time. Get up and listen to him. Then what about corporate worship? 
What's the benefit of corporate worship? What's the value of that? Well, corporate worship is where we come together as the people of God. And we, we glorify God and we magnify God. And by doing that together, different voices that we blend together in song and in worship and praise of God, is that, that creates joy for us. And that's a great scene in heaven is what we're going to be doing. We're going to worship a lot. Now, one of the things that always comes to mind when we talk about worship is about music, isn't it? And worship is not just about music, but uh, music plays a great part uh, in our, our enjoyment or not of, of worship. For the first probably 1,500 years of, uh, of our history and relationship with God, particularly in Christianity, the only songs that were sung or chanted were the Psalms, the book of Psalms. Uh, and and that, was what was, that was what was common to the people. That was what they knew. They were familiar with it. Then some radical changes came on. In, in the 1600s, Isaac Watts started doing something very radical. He started writing songs that weren't scripture. And, and he was considered a heretic by some because he wrote these modern hymns like, Oh God, our help in ages past, and alas, and did my Savior bleed. Can you believe that at some point in time, somebody would think those great hymns were, heretic, were heresy? And after a few years, during the 1800s, Charles Wesley's, uh, uh, John Wesley's brother Charles had the nerve to write Christian lyrics to well-known British drinking songs. And most of the churches in that day banned some of the songs that were trashy, like Christ the Lord is risen today and all for a thousand tongues to sing. Can you imagine if we didn't have those in our hymnal? Fast forward to the 20th century. That was the time most churches, that's what I grew up on, most of you in this worship hour did, we basically sang what was in the hymnal, right? That was it. We sang what was in the hymnal. And then Bill and Gloria Gaither began to make their appearance on the scene, and and some of the songs that they sang began to creep into, into the life of the church, and they were considered to be radical. And now some of their songs are in our hymnal, and they're considered to be old fashioned or out, out of date or something. Now, in the 21st century, our hymnal, that one you have in the pew before you, has many of what came out as contemporary songs. So you see, there's a big shift in, in our whole comment of, uh, of worshiping God and the music that's involved in it. I came across an interesting, what I thought, interesting article uh, written by a pastor. Uh, who compiled six reasons for opposing the trend of new music in church. He said, number one, it's not as melodious as the more established style. Number two, this new music creates disturbances and causes people to act in an indecent and disorderly manner. Number three, it places too much emphasis on instruments rather than on godly lyrics. The lyrics are often worldly, even blasphemous. It is not needed since preceding, I like this one, it is not needed since preceding generations have gone to heaven without it. That's pretty good, isn't it? And these new musicians are young upstarts, and some of them are lewd and loose persons. We don't have anybody like that singing, do we, Rick? Lewd and loose people? Young upstarts? Well, you might think that was written today, but it was written in 1783, criticizing the hymns that were being written. And some of you will die for the hymnal, won't you? And then that because it's what we're familiar with. That, that's what we know the most. 
That's what we're familiar with in, in certain ways. A new generation, though, has come along, and they know the new worship songs. I don't like to use the word contemporary because how do you define contemporary? But you know, I think that God already had orchestrated this because there are three specific types of music listed in the Bible that God likes. He talks about psalms, and that was certainly used. He talks about hymns, and that's been used. And then he talks about spiritual songs. You know, you've got, you got a wide variety of that, of spiritual songs. You know, what we like to sing is what we know the best and most familiar with. And many moving worship experiences on this trip to, to Israel and the Holy Land. Um, one was in this amphitheater. We were there uh, on the tour, and in the city it was being reconstructed, and this was part of the remains of uh, this 7,000-seat amphitheater. And, and the, just to prove how great the acoustics were, back in that day, I don't know how they did it, but this young lady went on stage and she sang Break Every Chain. And you could hear from the farthest seat in that, order, in that amphitheater, you could hear the words of that great song just coming forth in all of its beauty and power. Chills went up my spine. Then the day that we were in the garden tomb, we got a picture of that. There, there, there you see the garden, some of the more flowery things around it. There were worship sites that had been placed around it with, with a little covering and seats there so groups coming in together could celebrate and in 93 when I was there we celebrated Lord's Supper and we had our worship time and I heard voices literally from around the world I couldn't identify the voices all of them where they came from but I knew what they were singing because I knew the melody I knew the tune some of them were hymns some of them were great worship songs that we sing today so I think what we have to understand about worship is that it's not just music, and it's not just singing what we like most. Worship isn't intended to please us, it's intended to please God, and we have to remember that. Now, I want to say something to you that, that maybe in this worship hour you don't want to hear. But when you look at worship in the Bible, basically it was noisy. It was loud. Listen to the message translation of Psalm 98. It says, shout loudly to God, everybody. Let loose and sing. Strike up the band. Round up an orchestra to play for God. Add on a hundred voice choir. Feature trumpets and big trombones. Fill the air with praises to King God. Now, if you say most of the worship described in the Old Testament was noisy, what do you do about Habakkuk 2.20 that says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. If you're my age or in that category, you remember you usually got scolded about two things in church. You don't run in church. This is the house of God. Don't you run in this church. I don't think that upset God at all if you ran in church. I don't think so. The only reason that they, I would ever tell anybody don't run in church is you might fall and get hurt. Hit your head on one of those pews. And what was the other great thing that was, that was a rule for church? you're in the presence of God, be quiet. Be quiet. You know what, what Habakkuk is really saying? This is the Lord speaking. And he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. It's not a worship experience. 
God is on his judgment seat ready to pour forth judgment on the unrighteous. And he's saying this is a somber experience. All the earth needs to be silent before me because I'm going to speak. It's like a judge in the courtroom pronouncing sentence. Now worship should be reverent, but that doesn't necessarily mean quiet. Reverent simply means to revere and to honor. Now, I've said a lot. i gotta, I got to go to the Scripture. I haven't preached in a month. I could go on for I don't know how long. But um, let's look at the Scripture real quickly in Psalm uh, 145, 1 through 21. And then we'll look at four reasons why uh, we should celebrate in our worship, okay? Psalm 145 says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Interesting thing about this psalm is I believe through my study, I found that this is the only psalm that says a psalm of praise. And then the rest of them are not written by David. It's almost like this is the last thing David's going to write is a psalm of praise. All right, very quickly, here are four reasons in that psalm as to why we should celebrate God as we worship him. It doesn't matter what style. Whether it's this 845, that's going to change to 9 o'clock, you know, which is more of the, of the traditional worship. Or whether it's 1115 that will change, 1115, that would be the more contemporary praise worship. You see, it's to celebrate God. Just to get a little bit more audacious in your worship. That's the challenge. You know, just to, just to sense the excitement that the biblical writers had about writing about God. Just to be more audacious in a relationship with him and worshiping him. Okay? Number one, God is mighty. 
That's what we find in verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of his praise, worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Fathom is an interesting word. It was a word for thread, and the thread was used to measure the distance between two things. So our word fathom then came to measure something such as the depth of the water under a ship to see if the ship could safely pass, if the water was deep enough. Translate that into our relationship with God, and we ask, is God sufficient for our needs? And the answer is absolutely yes. Can we trust God for everything in life? Absolutely, because God is mighty. Our problem is that we come out of a limited lifestyle. We only have a limited amount of time. We only have a limited amount of uh, patience. We only have a limited amount of money. We've got a limited amount of strength. We've got a limited amount of insight. But God has no limits. Celebrate the fact that God is mighty. Number two, God is gracious. Look at verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. See, God is gracious. That means he abounds in generosity, kindness, and goodness. And God's glory to us is revealed in his grace. You see, we are all sinners, guilty of sin and deserving nothing but death and hell, but God's grace welcomes us into the kingdom of God through the loving Father. God is gracious. He gives to us His grace and His mercy when all we needed, deserved, was judgment. See, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, and His mercy is is His not giving us what we do deserve. Celebrate that fact, that God is gracious. Number three, God is faithful, verses 13 and 14. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall down and lifts up all who are bowed down. See, God is faithful to all of his promises. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians and say, all of God's promises are yes in Christ. So in addition to God's love and power, we should praise God and celebrate him because He is faithful and especially faithful, as David writes here, to those who are bowed down with adversity. That's something to celebrate. Everybody comes in here today with all kinds of different things that you're dealing with. Some of you express it uh, to friends seated beside you. Sometimes it's expressed on on the prayer request that you turn in. Sometimes you, you express that in your Sunday school class. There are family issues, health issues, job issues, all of those things. You're weighted down with it. Celebrate the fact that God is faithful. He will not desert you. He will uphold you with his righteous right hand. He cares about you. He knows you. If he knows the number of hairs upon your head, he knows everything about you. Celebrate that. God is faithful. And then number five, God is present. One of the great psalms that affirms that is Psalm 139. There's nowhere we can go. God is not there. Verse 18 of this psalm says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. So that's one of the great joys about worship, whether it's your private worship or whether it's our corporate worship. Where two or three in corporate worship are gathered together, what does God say? I'm there with you. And you know in your private time of worship, when it's just you and God, and you're on your knees, or you're at your study desk, and you've got your Bible open, and you're praying, and God's speaking to you, you know that God is there, right? 
See, when we worship God, he's there. And that's something that we need to celebrate, that God is near. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. So here, let's think about this. Let's be audacious, audacious in our worship of God, which means let's celebrate God. It doesn't mean that you yell or shout or whoop, but it means that there is an experience of celebration in the depth of your soul that you know God is real and that he is here and that you have worshipped him in a more lively way, in a more real way, in a more honest way, maybe like never before. Who knows? We, we, we could be living in the last year. And wouldn't it be great to make this the best year in terms of being audacious in terms of our worship? That's what we need to think about every time we enter into the presence of God and worship Him. Be audacious in your worship. Make it a celebration. Father, we thank you that you reveal to us in your word uh, how you want us to worship you through, through hymns and through psalms and through spiritual songs. And that you want us to do so with all that we are, to love you with all that we are, our heart, our soul, our mind. And, and to give to you all that we are in worship as a living sacrifice. So, Father, I pray uh, that our worship no matter what style we prefer, is still pleasing to you. And as long as we come into your presence and worship you, you are pleased with that and you're there with us. But Lord, we ask that, uh, I ask that we be able to take our, our worship experience and encounter with you to another level. And that it would be an audacious celebration of who you are and your presence with us. And I pray that in Jesus' name. We went to the cross, died for our sins so that we could have a relationship with you. And we thank you for that. And I pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.